Lesson 13 for March 19 through to 25, Redemption. Sabbath afternoon, March 19. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're coming to the end of this series that deal with the great controversy between good and evil, between you and Satan. And we're in the middle, Lord. And we thank you for the insight that we've gained. But as we look at redemption this week, we pray that we may see Jesus as the one on whom we can place our trust, the one who we can thank for the gift of salvation that he provides, and you too. Bless us each one. May your Holy Spirit guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrowing, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Let's read that again, Revelation 21 and verse 4, and I'll get it right this time. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. People often ask, why did evil arise in the first place? Central to the answer is freedom. True freedom, true moral freedom involves risk because it persons or beings are truly free, then they may have the option to do wrong. Fair enough, but the next question arises, why then didn't God just blot them out when they did wrong and spare the rest of us the horrible results of rebellion? The answer gets to the heart of the great controversy. As we'll see this week, the Lord runs a kind of open government, and though much about him and his ways are mysterious, he will resolve the great controversy in a way that will forever end all questions about his self-denial, goodness, justice, love, and law. Indeed, we will be given a thousand years to get answers, at least answers regarding the fate of the lost. We'll have an eternity for the rest. After the second coming, the redeemed will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And even more incredible, they will have an active role in judgment. Let's look at the final steps in the long playing drama of the great controversy. Sunday, March 20, Binding Satan. Question. Read Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through to 3. What is being described here, and what hope does it offer us? Well, let's begin at verse 1 of Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while." Binding, or being bound, is used in a number of ways in the Bible. On the simplest level, it applies to a prisoner. 
Jesus loosed many who had been bound by Satan. Furthermore, the act of binding is used to describe the power that God gives the church over evil, making it a symbol of judgment. When dangerous criminals are captured, it is necessary to bind them. However, many times in the Bible when people are bound, they are hardly criminals. John the Baptist was put in chains because he denounced the moral evils of the king in Matthew 14, verses 3 and 4. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Jesus was bound in the garden. In uh, John chapter 18 and verse 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And at his trial, in John chapter 18 verse 24. Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And in death he was bound as well. John 19 and verse 40. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Paul in Acts 21.33 and Peter in Acts 12.6 were both bound. Paul, Acts 21.33, then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And Peter in Acts chapter 12 and verse 6, And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. Jesus also spent a lot of face-to-face time with people whom Satan had bound. There was a demoniac, bound with broken chains on his ankles and wrists, as we read in Mark chapter 5. Before Jesus released him from demons, nobody could restrain the evil. He met a woman whose back had been bent over, and he released her. Luke chapter 13, verse 11. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bent over, and could in no way raise herself up. And verse 12. But when Jesus saw her, he called to her, to him, and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity, And then in verse 16, So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound, think of it, for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? He also released Lazarus from the tomb and from his grave clothes in John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him, and let him go. Then there was Barabbas, who, although chained, was released so that Jesus, not him, would be crucified. In Mark chapter 15, verses 7 to 15, we read this, And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. 
Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him, whom you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? And they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus, after he had scourged him, to be crucified. In all these instances, we see Satan either trying to keep people imprisoned with affliction or binding the innocent in order to allow evil to flourish. But we also see Jesus breaking the bonds of death in order to bring release and freedom into a world hopelessly imprisoned by Satan. In the end, Satan is bound and cast into outer darkness, as we read at the beginning of today's lesson. Also, part of Jesus' mission to free those whom Satan bound was to empower his followers. He assured them that Satan, the strong man, can be bound and his house plundered in Matthew. In other words, Satan has no power against Christ and Christ's followers because Christ has released his people from the bonds of Satan. As Paul observed in 2 Timothy 2.9, the word of God is not chained. It is the means whereby Jesus silenced Satan in Matthew chapter 4, and we can use the same power to resist him as well. So to finish the day, what promises can you claim that will free you from whatever chains the evil one seeks to bind you with? March 21, the why questions. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 describes the earth as being without form and void. This same phrase is repeated by Jeremiah to describe the earth after its destruction by the seven last plagues and the second coming, with every city on earth broken down at the presence of the Lord, Jeremiah 4.26. In Jeremiah's account, there is no man, as we read in verse 25, I beheld, and indeed there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens had fled. In John's account, Satan is unable to deceive anyone, Revelation 20 and verse 3, and he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. The dramatic and universal effects of the second coming explain what is happening here in Revelation. First, Jesus promises to take his followers to a place he left earth to prepare. We read that in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Paul adds the detail that those followers include the living and those who have been resurrected from their graves in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 and 16. 
For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. John adds another detail. After the first resurrection in the second co- at the second coming, the remainder of the dead will stay dead until the thousand years end in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Question. Read Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. What is being described in this text? And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Judgment was committed to them. Now, How could they judge without getting more information than they have now? Before the final destruction of the wicked, the saved are given the opportunity to get many of their why questions answered. Even more amazing, the redeemed even play a role in judging the lost. Ellen White writes in The Great Controversy, page 661, In union with Christ, they judge the wicked, comparing their acts with the statute book, the Bible, and deciding every case according to the deeds done in the body. Then the portion which the wicked must suffer is meted out according to their works, and it is recorded against their names in the book of death. End of quote. During this time of opening the records, we will see the countless times that God's still small voice beckoned the lost with words of kindness and love. How patiently he persisted, only to be repeatedly drowned out by the clatter of the things that this world flaunts as desirable. Silently he waited, longing for an opportunity to be recognized as the one who paid an infinite price so that they could have life, but instead they chose death. Is there anything in your life that is keeping you from hearing his voice? He is still patiently waiting for you. Choose life. And to finish the day, read 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. What is promised to us here in regard to the second coming? How can you lean on this promise now when, no doubt, you have a lot of unanswered questions? 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5 Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Tuesday, March 20, Final Judgment In Bible times there were two places for judgment, the city gate and before the king's throne. The elders at the gate decided all the small cases, but the king decided all the large issues. His was the final word in ensuring justice. 
Similarly, the Bible pictures God enthroned as King of the Universe, guaranteeing that justice is finally done. Question. Read Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 to 15. How do we understand these momentous events? Well, let's begin Revelation 20 and at verse 7. Now, when the thousand years were expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil, who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night for ever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged." each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20 is all about the thousand years. So this particular judgment occurs in that time frame. It is not the same scene that is described in verse 4, where there are many thrones, because in verse 11 there is only one. Rather than being at the beginning of the thousand years, it is at the end, after the second re resurrection, and after Satan convinces the hosts of the unsaved to surround the holy city. God's great white throne is seen above the city at that point. Present is every person ever born some inside the city, some outside. This is the time that Jesus spoke about when he said that there would be some people who asked God why they did not make it into God's kingdom in Matthew chapter 7. That's in verses 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It is also the time that Paul spoke of when he said that one day every knee shall bow down before Jesus, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians chapter 2. The purpose of judgment is not to teach God anything that he doesn't already know for he already knows everything. The purpose is to ensure that everybody knows exactly why God has judged the way that he has. Every person, every angel will be able to say, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were. Revelation 16 verse 5. The saved and lost, both among humans and angels, will see the justice and righteousness of God. The final act in this drama is the destruction of death and Hades, plus those not written in the book of life. 
Jesus holds the keys to death and Hades, as we read in Revelation 1.18. Neither of these has any reason to exist any more. Rather than facing eternal torment, as is so commonly taught, the lost are destroyed. They cease to exist forever, the opposite of eternal life. Wednesday, March 23, New Heaven and a New Earth Sin and rebellion have been unwelcome intruders. They were never meant to be here. They inflicted incredible damage, but now that the cause of that damage no longer exists, it is time to restore everything to perfection. Not until that happens will the great controversy be completed. Question Read Revelation chapter 21, verses 1, 2, 9, and 10, and chapter 22, verses 1 through to 3. What are the main features of John's description, and what do they mean? First of all, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And verses 9 and 10. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And chapter 22, verses 1 to 3. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. When John describes a new heaven as well as a new earth, he is repeating what Peter said in Second Peter 3.10, The heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. As we know so well, the earth is in desperate need of more than just a makeover. Everything here is going to be completely destroyed in order to make way for a whole new existence. John also talks about no more sea in Revelation 21.1. He wrote this from the prison island of Patmos, where the sea prevented his escape. Even in a modern boat, it takes hours to reach the island where John wrote these words. In the earth made new, there will be no longer any form of barrier that prevents the redeemed from moving freely or seeing their loved ones. The New Jerusalem sounds incredibly spectacular. It is described in terms of a city from Bible times because that is all John knew about. 
However, artists' impressions that depict it from first-century Roman architecture do it a major disservice, because this is a city whose builder and maker is God, as it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. Our minds can barely grasp these descriptions. How fun it is to let our imagination dwell on what is in store for us, though. We can barely begin to imagine it. Also, the huge dimensions of the city inform us that there is no shortage of space. There is room for everyone. So to finish the day, look around at the beauty of the natural world and think about what it tells us about the character of God, even despite the ravages of sin. How can what we see here now help inspire us to trust in the hope of what we don't yet see? Thursday, March 24, No More Tears Question. Read Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through to 5. What do the tears in these verses mean? Revelation 21, beginning at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. We are all experienced with what it means to cry. We are also familiar with the action of wiping tears from another's eyes, a mother comforting a child, a close friend comforting a companion, or one parent comforting the other in the midst of tragedy. We also know we do not allow many people to touch our face. So what does it mean that God touches our face, other than that we will have an intimate tie with our Maker. It is hard to imagine a world without death, sorrow or crying. Pain, sweat, tears and death have been the norm for humankind ever since the fall. Genesis 3 verses 16 to 19 tells us that, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and, and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Yet, from that time on, God has assured the human race that failure and loss are not 
all there is to look forward to. God has given little indicators along the way that He will one day redeem us and bless us with His presence. God does so first with the promise of the Redeemer in Genesis 3.15 that we just read. Then with the assurance of His presence in the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Then with the reality of the word becoming flesh and tabernacling among us, as John said in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And finally, by placing the throne of the universe in our midst, as we read in Revelation 21.3 before. Many Bible verses give a summary of this covenant assurance using such, as, such words as, I will be their God, you shall be my people, and I will dwell among you. One example is Second Corinthians chapter 6 verse 16. I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Jesus came the first time to neutralize the effects of the broken covenant. Jeremiah described the consequences of the broken covenant this way. Why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable. Because of the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased, I have done these things to you. Jeremiah 30 and verse 15. Thanks to Jesus, this is now history. Revelation 21.3 gives us the climax of the Bible. Perhaps the tears are what we shed over the final annihilation of the lost, but God himself wipes them away, and sorrow and suffering are forever passed away. So to finish today, these texts imply an intimacy with God once we are in heaven. We, though, don't have to wait until then to have that kind of relationship with Him. How can you, even now, walk closely with the Lord? Friday, March 24. Think about the millennium and about our understanding of it. Though we are not told a lot, we are told enough to know a few things. First, the millennium occurs before the final destruction of the lost. Second, before that final destruction, the saved spend this time getting a lot of questions answered, so much so that they themselves get to help partake of that judgment. That is, they themselves are judging. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? 1 Corinthians 6.2 And 1 Corinthians 6 verse 3 Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Also, as we read this week, during this thousand years, judgment was committed to them. Revelation 20 verse 4 That is, the saints. Thus, these two points together reveal an important truth. None of the lost will face final judgment until after the millennium, until the saved not only understand why the wicked are lost, but will also play a role in passing judgment upon them. Think about what this tells us about the character of God and the openness of his government. Before a single person faces the ultimate fate of the lost, God's people will get to see very clearly the justice and fairness of God's final judgment upon them. 
It's going to be painful for sure. But when it's finished, as we have already seen, we will shout, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were. Revelation 16 and verse 5. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. How does the reality of the great controversy help us better understand why suffering and death exist now, even though many difficult questions remain unanswered? 2. If someone were to ask you, How can I have a closer and more intimate walk with the Lord? What would you say? 3. Dwell more on the idea of being prepared now for heaven. What does that mean? How do we understand this idea in light of the gospel? And 4. What are some of the questions that you would like answered? Until they are answered, how do you learn to trust in the goodness and righteousness of God amid so much tragedy? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled, Are You an Angel? Days were lonely for Florrie in her new home, so she decided to visit her neighbours and invite them to study the Bible. Four people agreed. One person was a man named Nildo. When he didn't show up, Florrie went to visit him. She knocked on the door, but there was no answer. When she went to the back door, she thought she heard someone moaning. She found the door unlocked and opened it. She found an old man lying on a bed in a back room. Florrie, a nurse's aide, could see that the man's bed was soiled and his clothes were wet. He was hungry and thirsty. Florrie bathed and dressed him in fresh clothes. She changed the bed linens and fixed him some porridge. As she cared for him, the man asked, "'Are you an angel?' "'No,' she answered. "'I'm Florrie, and I'm from the Adventist church.' I came looking for Nildo. He asked for Bible studies, but didn't come today. I want Bible studies too, the old man said eagerly. Florrie looked at the man and said gently, I came to bring a message to you. Then she sang a song for him. When she finished singing, he exclaimed, I know that God sent you here. Then he added, Nobody likes me, but today I've learned that God cares for me. I've done some terrible things. I thought that God couldn't forgive me, but now I have hope. Florrie spent the rest of the afternoon chatting with the old man, whose name was Benedicto. She stayed for several hours, but as she was getting ready to leave, Benedicto's daughter walked in. She was surprised to find Florrie there and asked what she was doing. I'm Nildo's Bible teacher, Florrie answered. When he didn't come to the study, I came looking for him but found your father. I saw that he needed help, so I helped him. But the man's daughter was not pleased. If you knew what kind of man he is, you wouldn't have helped him, she said. He isn't worth it. He shot my mother, and now she can't use her arm. Just leave him alone to die. Florrie answered quietly, If you'll permit... I'm willing to come every day and care for your father. You'll do it alone, the woman said. Then she continued to paint a black picture of the old man as Benedicto sat on his bed listening. His head was bowed, but she could see tears on his cheeks. 
Flory came every day to care for Benedicto. She began giving him Bible studies. She invited Nildo, his sister, and other family members to join them. After the Bible study, she cared for Benedicto's needs. During the next few months, Nildo learned to forgive his father, and he found grace and forgiveness in Christ. Benedicto, Nildo, and one of his sisters were baptized. Six months later, Benedicto died peacefully. Flori Eunice Oliveira dos Santos continues her ministry in Salvador in Brazil. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.